Well, we, we started last week on a series called Reset, and, and the idea or the metaphor that came to mind for me to describe kind of what, what life on this planet has been like over the past several months is, is comparing it to a computer that's, that's kind of malfunctioning, that's hung up, and the programs aren't responding, and, you know, just you hit the buttons and nothing's going on, and maybe you even get the... Uh, the blue screen of death. Have you heard about the blue screen of death? That means like something's going really wrong. Um, and that pops up on the screen and everything just, just is, is out of sorts. And when that happens on, on your PC, there are these three beautiful buttons that you press simultaneously, control, alt, delete. And, and that just gives you the chance to restart the computer, to reboot the system. And, and when things reset, a lot of times, what was hung up is working again, and it's an exciting thing. It's a peaceful thing. And that kind of seems a lot like our world today. So much has gotten so out of sorts, and, and so maybe there's some resetting we can do at a time like this, you know, resetting our attitudes, resetting our, our rhythms, our expectations, and so many other things. So, so last week we started out, and we looked at resetting reality, um, level-setting our lives around this, this core truth about where God is when things in ra- our world seem to be out of control, that He is where He's always been, reigning on His throne in complete control. And we can rest on that reality. As we try to make sense of what we're working through, we can understand that. And, and, and interpret in light of that. And this week, we're going to continue and look at resetting on a relational level. What does it look like to reset our relationships? You know, for, for many, um, COVID has taken a toll on relationships. Um, it's tested them. And, and when you're living with this low level of stress that's just there all the time, and there's there's all these unknowns, and, and, and this has kind of just been a breeding ground on a relational level for flare-ups and conflicts. And, and, and then when you're at home with people that you love dearly, but you can't get a break from them, right? That can create some challenges, misunderstandings, um, different ways of viewing what's going on in our world today, some of these things that are going on that we see on the news, and, uh, you know, trying to navigate how to actually communicate about those kind of things can be like a, a slow brew to, to World War III under someone's roof. Uh, maybe it's just me. Anybody else? Yeah, we got a few here. Okay, good, good. Um, Here's the thing, even under the best of conditions, relationships are a big challenge, aren't they? Um, It's been that way for a very long time. Uh, In the book of Philippians, there's these these two ladies, their names are, interesting names, Euidia and Syntyche. No one's real, those names haven't made it down, you know, the the list of names that have kind of gone through the ages. Um, But Paul's writing to the Philippians and he pleads with these two ladies uh, to be of the same mind. That, that, and and they were, these were good ladies, good women, godly women who loved the Lord, and, and they were being used by God in significant ways, but, but something happened, and it tore them apart. 
they were at odds for this extended period of time. And so Paul writes and he says, can you guys work this out? And he, and he writes to the church, would you guys help these two ladies who I love so much work things out and get back on the same page? I, I don't know about you, but just the fact that that's in a letter in the New Testament makes me feel a little bit hopeful about expectations, and, and, and that the expectation is not that we would never experience conflict, but it's, 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 that, it's that those conflicts we'd experience, that we'd be able to work through them, that after they break down, that we'd be able to get back on the same page and go from a, a house divided back to a house united. And, and, and so, how do we hit the reset button on our relationships? We want to. Many of us can look and say, yeah, we need to, but, but how do we do that? There, there is a reset button in our lives that's, that, that is applicable towards the relationships, and it's, it's labeled humility. Humility. And, and as humility takes hold of our lives, uh, we're able to see some amazing things happen in our lives as well. So, so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, and this kind of gives us a template for, for resetting the relationships. And, and so I'm going to just start reading the first two verses. It says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Okay, so, so this is kind of talking about here finding the reason, finding the right reason to, to reset our relationships. Because let's be honest, it takes work. It takes work to, to, to work on our relationships. It's a pretty major undertaking to go from a house divided to, to a house united again. And, and, and after things blow up with someone, it's a whole lot easier to just let things be and let that just kind of deteriorate and, and let the distance remain and, and grow. And, and, and that happens all the time. And, and you can understand why, because it takes work and intentionality and effort versus just letting things go. And so, and so there's a motivation that, that this passage pulls out, this, this compelling reason to reset our relationships. And, and the motivation comes from God and how he's at work in our lives. And, and, and this is just pointing to this rich, ongoing, steadfast stream of how God ministers into our lives, what he's pouring into us. And, and so it says, you know, if there's any encouragement, um, if there's any comfort, if there's any fellowship, if there's any tenderness, then make my joy complete by doing these things. And there's this like, it's this if-then sentence, you know, this, this line of logic, these conditions. And so the idea is, you know, if you've experienced the least bit of God's goodness pouring into your life, the question is, have you, right? You know, if, if having God in your life has made the least bit of difference in you, then, 
then let it work its way out in, in the way that you do relationships. That's, that's what it's getting at. Do what it takes to get back on the same page. And, and it highlights some of the ways that God is at work in our lives. You know, the supernatural encouragement. It doesn't come from, from someone patting you on the back or giving you a hug, but it comes from being found in Jesus Christ, knowing that your life is wrapped up in his. It talks about this comfort that's planted in the depths of your heart, of your soul, not because you know someone loves you physically, but you know that you are loved by your creator, by the living God. It talks about this deep abiding fellowship not, not a human fellowship, not from a human relationship, but with the Holy Spirit that resides deep within the hearts of his people. These are, these are just examples of what God pours into the lives of his children. And it's as, as if Paul, who's writing this, he's saying, you guys get this. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you know that encouragement. You've, you've drank from that stream that reservoir is in your heart, that reservoir of hope. Even when things weren't going so great, you've experienced that. You've experienced that, that comfort, that, that peace that passes all understanding in the most overwhelming of circumstances, right? You, you've experienced the gentle guidance, the direction, the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And he's just saying, Draw from that. Draw from that reservoir. There, there are resources that only the Christ follower has access to. And they're there for a reason. You know, there's, there's so many who, you know, once you take God out of your life, when there's no room in your worldview for God, life, life has a way of just reducing. And you don't have access to these resources that, that the Christ follower can claim. I, I remember in, in high school, um, a friend um, coming up to me and just confessing how absolutely terrified she was to die. The thought of death absolutely terrified her. And, and I can understand why if, you know, if, if you don't know what happens on the other side of the grave, if you don't know that, then that's completely natural. If you have living in your heart one who has conquered the grave, that changes things. That completely changes things. And that doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean that there's no fear involved, but, uh, but it's different. I, I remember talking to a guy not long ago who said, I am never going to get in a relationship again. He had been divorced and he had been wronged, and he was convinced that no one is committed to anyone anymore. Everyone is just out for themselves, and he said, I'm never going to trust anyone again. And as far as he was concerned, it was him against the world. And I just remember my heart just feeling so sad and just broken that, that someone would live that way because by, by the grace of God, I just say, that's, that's not my story. And, and if you've trusted in Jesus and he's a reality in your life, then it's not your story either. 
And it doesn't mean that we don't get to challenging positions and points in our lives, but, but the reality is because of the work of God in us, we have access to some pretty powerful resources. There are some tools in our relational toolbox that have been put there by God. And he says, all right, take them out. Take them out and use them in your relationships to move from divided back to united. That's, that's the if-then. And, and that if-then is a, is a life-changing reality. Once, once that if-then gets clear, if God has worked in my life, then I can, I can work on my relationships. That, here's one of the things that becomes clear, that, that a lot of times the issue with the divisions, the issues with the conflicts, it's not so much that I'm not able to get along, not so much that I'm unable to get back on the same page. Sometimes it comes down to, we don't want to. We, we just don't want to. We just wanna stay here. And, 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 and you know what? Sometimes we need to call that out. Sometimes we say that that, that attitude is not the attitude that, that, that God has worked in on me. And, and I think if we're honest, sometimes that is the biggest challenge is we prefer to just treat others the way they treat us rather than treat others as an extension of the way God has treated us. And so that brings us to, to the second point that, um, that there's this right reason and it's also complemented by the right attitude. And that attitude is an attitude of humility. Here's what it says. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Real, real simple. Real simple, not very difficult to understand what he's getting at here in this passage, but very challenging to put into practice, isn't it? Heavy doses of humility need to take shape to reset our lives on a relational level, to go from divided back to united. And, and there may be that there is no greater need in our lives on a daily basis than that continual cultivation of humility. You may get fired up about what's going on in the news. Tune it in and, you know, I'm just aggravated at what's going on in our nation and what's happening here and what's happening there and all bothers me and that could be a real easy way for us to just kind of just ignore the reality that's a whole lot closer to home. This, this need for humility. In, in the Greek, this passage, this sentence is constructed in a way that emphasizes the individual application of it. It literally reads this way, not even one with selfish ambition, not even one with vain conceit, but with humility to one another. So what that means is that what he's talking about here, none of us get the option of sitting this one out. 
we are not going to find a way to bypass this need to cultivate humility in our lives. Not me and not you. You and your attitude really matters. Me and my attitude really matters. And the next sentence kind of continues to emphasize that. It starts off with the same focus, each one of you. Each one of you. That, that, means, that means this is for you, and, and, it's, and it's for me. And, and sometimes we have this inclination to hear something like this, and you know, maybe just elbow your spouse. Are you listening, honey, about this humility part? You know, or, or we're thinking, yeah, oh, I wish, I wish that guy was here to hear this. This must be something that's so important for him to get. Yeah, I'm sure it is, but it's more important for you to get it. It's more important for, for me to get it. No, no one needs humility to take hold in their lives more than me. And I can say that about myself because you know what? I know myself in ways that, you know, you don't. You you see a little bit of me, but you don't see all of me. You don't see the different ways that pride and, and, and arrogance have a way of flaring up. And if I'm not careful, I can just avoid those kind of things and point at other people. But no one needs humility to take hold more than me. And that's something every one of us can say about ourselves because no one knows us the way that we know ourselves. And so it gets down to this question, what's, what's fueling my life? How much of my life is being fueled by ambition, selfish ambition and conceit? Where and how is that locking up my relationships? Because it will and it does. You know, a lot of times we, we think of, you know, selfish ambition and, and vain conceit, and it's easy to, again, it's easy to point out to someone else, you know, like, yeah, those, like Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Yeah, he's really the one who's selfish ambition and vain conceit, and, you know, those, those, those crooks who steal money from old ladies in nursing homes, they're so bad, or, or maybe it's the, it's the sports celebrities, megastar athletes who, yeah, they ride in a separate bus, not only for themselves, but to, to make enough room for their ego, right? Easy targets. Easy targets. But make no mistake, that attitude hits a whole lot closer to home for each and every one of us. Selfish ambition and conceit. The, the inability to see beyond ourselves. It's when me and what I want is what matters most. When that fuels and drives my life, oftentimes it seems to get manifested lately in, here's what I think about fill in the blank. That, that matters more than anything else because, you know, we all have to voice our opinions and where we land, it just seems to be like the most important thing in our world today. Let me tell you where I'm at. And maybe it's not. Maybe that's evidence that we're putting ourselves before someone else. And the solution, it says, is to just, let's, 
Let's take ourselves out of the way. Let's take ourselves out of the way. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, don't get that wrong. Humility is a matter of priority, not value, right? It's, it, it's not saying that if I'm humble that I'm going to say you're good and I'm bad. That's not what it's about at all. It has nothing to do with value. It has everything to do with focus and shifting my attention from me to you, focusing less on, on me and what I want so I can focus on more of you and, and what you need and where you're at. That's, that's humility. You first. I, I, I could wait. I can defer my self-interest for you and your needs and your concerns. It's a simple way of saying, you matter. I value you. And you know, it's so easy to set up our lives to just revolve around ourselves and our own little worlds and reinforce those things that just build that, that thing up. And, and so many relational problems can be directly traced back to that pride and that selfish ambition, can it? Like, isn't that, isn't that true? Can't we, can't we look at things in our lives, look at past episodes of conflicts and just, yeah, a little bit of humility would have made a big difference. How many hurts could get healed? How many broken relationships could get mended with just that simple shift? From, from me to you. We, we all need that, right? We, we need heavy doses of humility, but the question is, where do we get it? I don't know about you, but I look at my life many times and I'm just like, I think I'm running dry on humility. I think it's just leaking out. I just don't have it. And, 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 and just so you know, no one... Is, is gifted in humility, right? No one's just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just naturally humble. It is, a, it is a cultivated attribute. It is the byproduct of intentional action, and it is ultimately something that comes from Jesus. We, we don't do it ourselves. We, we get it from Jesus, and that's, that's the last thing this passage presents. It gives us um, the right attitude, and then it points us to the right model to follow. And here's what it says. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what he's getting out here is putting Jesus front and center and saying, hey, if humility is a priority, make Jesus your model. Make him front and center. Follow in his footsteps. Trace out the journey that he took from the throne of heaven to the cross of Calvary. Because you will find no greater demonstration of humility, of selflessness, than that journey that Jesus took. And it charts his journey from, from heaven to earth, from God to man, from throne to cross, 
This is what we, we call it, it's his descent into greatness. And it's the opposite of everything that we see in our world today. It was all about releasing his rights, releasing his privileges. All of things that were his, that belonged to him, he laid them aside. Instead of clinging on to them, he had, he had everything, and he laid it all aside for you and for me. You see, when Jesus left heaven, became a man, and went to the cross, there was no trace of self-interest in it, right? Going to the cross didn't meet any needs of Jesus. He, he didn't have any needs when he was in heaven. He's the, he's the subject, the object of, of ongoing adoration and worship. And, and, and what he did was he exchanged, he exchanged that all for us. His pain in exchange for our gain. He was forsaken so, so we could be forgiven. He was rejected so we could be accepted, so that we could, by, by trusting personally in him and what he did on the cross, we could find forgiveness and be made right with God again. And, and that's, that's amazing. And, and, and if you're here and you're listening to this, and I want to ask you, have, have you received that? Have you received that forgiveness that he one on the cross when he gave up everything he had for you by just trusting him, trusting personally on what he did and recognizing that, Jesus, what you did, you did for me, and I want to receive you into my life and live for you. The passage tells us not only did, did Jesus come to be our Savior, he also, he's also our, our role model as well. We can pattern our lives after his. So as we contemplate the cross, as we contemplate the journey that it took for him to get that there, that, that we, can, we can make it our goal to follow in his footsteps as we work through the relational challenges in our lives. And we can let that same attitude be in me that was in him. That attitude of, of humility. And that happens as we get to these points, these challenges, and we, and we do the same thing he did. Well, I, I am entitled to this. This is mine. I have every right. No, we just lay it aside. We just lay it aside out of love for the sake of those in our lives. Once we've taken ourselves out of the way I don't know about you, but it seems to me that that's, that's when the opportunity for healing happens. That's when the doors to reconciliation start to open up. So it's all about Jesus. Receive him as Savior, follow him as role model, and, and, and the passage doesn't end without pointing us back to him and calling us to worship his, him as king. And it, it ends with this beautiful picture that shows that Jesus is the ultimate uniting factor, that we go from divided to united with a fixed focus on him. Here's what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. All, all, of, humanity, all of humanity will will one day stand together and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's not gonna be any division. Everyone, all of creation will be united around that. And, and what all will eventually confess in the future, we get the opportunity right now in the present to do, to confess that Jesus is the one who glues us together. And so here's the thing, as, as each of us individually are drawing closer to Jesus in worship, modeling our lives around him, he's the center. I may be here, you may be here. He's right there up in the center. So we continue to move closer to him, look what happens. We move closer to each other. That's, that's, that's the beauty of Christian unity. It, 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 it works in, in marriage, in friendships, in church, in, in every way, and that's, that's the kind of thing that God wants for us. That's the kind of relational resetting that we need. We've been given the tools, all the resources we need, but here's the thing. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen as we sit back and just stay passive about all these things that divide us. It happens as we, as we take intentional action, as we pursue to pour out what God's poured in, as we take those steps of, of laying down. And, and you know, there's, there's nothing really extraordinary about division. You know, it happens. Uh, you know, it happens on, on school boards. It happens on PTAs, it happens on sports teams, and, and, and it can just as easily happen in a church. We're not exempt just because we've got Jesus. But there is something extraordinary about God's people following in Jesus' footsteps, taking the path that he plowed out for us. It's, it's evidence that God's God's at work in amazing and significant ways. So let's just pray together uh, that heavy doses of humility would take shape in, in each of our lives. Lord.